Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. On today's episode of Retire Right, I'm talking with Joanne Earle. She's a professor in the School of Psychological Sciences at Macquarie University. She's got a particular interest in looking at the non-financial sides of retirement, and this episode is going to be so good for you. Joanne's research looks at retirement from a planning and adjustment perspective, focusing on the holistic approach to planning for retirement that influences wealth, health, social, cognitive, emotional, and motivational resources. My name's Glenn James. I host a podcast called My Millennial Money. I'm a retired financial advisor myself, and I'm bringing this series to the mums and dads of millennials, to the grandparents of millennials and Gen Zs. Hey, you're in great hands. You're going to have a lot of fun, get lots out of this podcast. And if you do find it interesting, can you send it to somebody else who may also find it interesting? Remember, you retire once, so you have to retire right. Let's get this into your ears now. Professor Joe Earl, thank you so much for joining us on Retire Right today. I'm really glad to be here, Glenn. Always good to talk about retirement. Now, you're a professor at Mm -hmm. the School of Psychological Sciences and that's part of the Centre of Ageing, Cognition and Wellbeing at Macquarie University. That's right, it is. It's a mouthful. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I want to just get straight into it. Mm. How do you think retirement has changed in Australia Mm -hmm. over the last 50 years, five years, 100 years? Sure. Because our audience here may be over 50 years old, mm-hmm. and their idea of retirement mm. may have been their parents, yeah, which could have been 40, 50 years ago. Sure, absolutely. I think uh, one of the things that's probably changed is the abolition of a compulsory retirement date. So but when people talk about, you know, the retirement age, there really isn't a retirement age anymore. Mostly that's to do with when people can access a pension, So that's changed. I think also we've seen more couples who've both been working, retiring, which I think then makes the retirement experience different because previously they've maybe only spent holidays or weekends together and now they're spending every day together. So I think that changes the dynamic within relationships. I think there's also a growing awareness from people about other factors that need to be taken into consideration when you retire beyond just money. And that's mainly from people having a look around at the experiences of maybe their parents or their grandparents and wondering what that re- what that's going to look like for them. So uh, the, the things that haven't changed so much actually are the number of people who exit the workplace because of poor health. You know, I look at the multi-purpose household survey from the ABS and been following that for a number of years now. And the last three returns have shown that health is one of the top three reasons why people exit the workplace 
earlier. Mm. So that's not changing. So despite the fact that we still see people exiting the workplace earlier and certainly much earlier than when they can access a pension, an aged pension, we're still seeing that it's roughly about 20% of people. So I think that hasn't changed and that's a bit disappointing because I think that's useful information that we're really not accessing. Do you think the societal structure has made an impact because it's no longer a job for life? I mean, Mm. my father, and I hope he's listening to this episode, he's 67, 68, Mm. and I think, you know, he's had probably two jobs in his life, but myself being 37 at the moment, I'm into my third career at the moment. Yeah. Now, that changes the mindset of the upcoming generations that it's not a job for life and I might do this and then have a break from the workforce and then do something else. Mm. Are we seeing trends in maybe people over 60, you know, going, well, my parents retired at 65, but I don't need to retire now because I kind of like what I'm doing. So I'll do this pseudo retirement. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that when you do look at the ABS data, people retire much earlier than pension age. So for women, it's about 52. And I think the last uh, numbers I looked at for men is about 57. So, you know, people are retiring much earlier, either because they think they've got enough money, um, because of ill health or because of redundancy. So, I mean, I think a lot of people end up in retirement unexpectedly because of ill health or because of redundancy. I haven't got any data to say whether or not there's an increasing trend with millennials job swapping out more than older generations. I think it could be, for example, very industry specific. Right. Um, And where some industries, you know, there's high turnover and then in others there's not. So I think that would be difficult for me to comment on. But I do think that, you know, this idea of retirement at 65 is still a mindset that people have. And even when I have career conversations with people now about when they're planning to leave work, they'll say, they'll nominate 65 and I'll say, and how did you arrive at that number? And they'll say to me, because that's when you retire. Um, Even if they know that there's no compulsory retirement age, it's still a number that's fairly fixed in most people's heads. Yeah. And I've said for years to many of my clients uh, that were pre-retirement, I'd bring them in the boardroom and say, I know the exact amount of money you need for retirement. And they're like leaning in and they're like, how much, how much? And the answer is as much as possible. Now, (laughs) that's true. But in terms of the retirement date, Mm. we can retire tomorrow. The question is, what are we going to fund our lifestyle with? That's right. I mean, I think this is a decision too. And one of the things that it's very much connected with is longevity, you know, and how long people are going to live. And and so that's difficult to predict. So hard for people to take into consideration when they're trying to work out how much money they'll need. The other issue though, is what they're going to do in retirement. And of course, different lifestyle options are going to require different levels of income and, um, and and access to, to money. So what our, our goal is not to help people to decide how much money they need. We leave that for the financial advice profession. Ours is really about what are you going to do in retirement? I mean, and why do you want to retire now? And that's a great segue to the next question that I've got for you. Like you've researched retirement for many years. 
got lots of data from different people, from the ABS and mm-hmm. various uh, places that you find data. Are there constant themes that always keep showing up in your research or constant yeah. fears? And we've got some examples that mm-hmm. we can look at here. Sure. Um, I think people do worry about having enough money and whether or not it's going to last. And part of the reason that there's uncertainty is what I described before, where they don't know necessarily how long they're going to live, so it's difficult to predict. Um, I think people also worry about loneliness and whether or not they're going to end up on their own. If they've got plans, for example, when it comes to um, what they're going to do in retirement, sometimes that's very much organised as a couple. And so good health for both parties is important. So I think that's a fear. I think the other one that's coming up more frequently now that we're hearing, particularly with older women, is housing. Yeah. Where are they going to live? Um, and will they be able to afford to rent? Um, and is there going to be good, secure rental properties available for them? If you have a look at, you know, the the those, those key issues around housing, why it's particularly difficult, I think, is because a lot of the calculators that are available for people to use, you know, whether or not it's the ASFA one or, you know, that which is accessed via the Money Smart website or, or any of the other ones that are available just from superannuation companies, a lot of them will assume home ownership. And for a lot of older single women, that might not be their reality. So I think that's one of the other fears that comes out. But what we I can say is in terms of, you know, predicting what matters in terms of getting enough resources for retirement, like to use this sort of six bucket philosophy. Yeah. And I want to probably, let's move into that now. You do talk about these six buckets. Yeah. Now, one of the buckets is wealth. Yes. Now, we're not going to really talk about that in this episode because there's a whole heap of other episodes that yep. we can just handle all that stuff, right? Yeah. But what are the, the six buckets? Sure. So besides wealth, then we've got health, social, cognitive, emotional, motivational, and I'll take you through each one of those. And I think it's also important to think about priorities. So what we found in our research is that having resources accumulated in these areas helps to predict retirement adjustment. So money is important, but it's equally important as health. So at the if you like the biggest priority, a health and wealth in combination. So when your nana said your health's your wealth, she wasn't really joking. Um, so with health, we're talking about people being able to continue to be mobile and flexible and to um, be able to access the activities that they enjoy, being free from illness and um, illnesses that might be potentially debilitating and stop them from enjoying life in general. Um, so being able to access all the things they want to do is important for health. Then social is about having a good network of people around you. And this includes things like having people for tangible support. You know, you need someone to grab some groceries for you, but also problem solving or troubleshooting or in information, you know, where do I go to find out about, you know, um, the PBS system or or who knows a good place to go for insurance if I'm travelling. It's those sorts of conversations that people have with each other. But even the social factor, like someone might be listening to this and they're like, well, you know, I'm 70 years old. Mm. I'm, I'm not old. I don't, I can use the internet myself. But the important thing is, 
we need social networks That's for right. friendship. Absolutely, and you connection. do. And to avoid isolation. I mean, isolation is, you know, a predictor of depression, anxiety. So people being able to connect with other people within, um, you know, easy reach is important. And they can do that in lots of different ways, of course. But I think the other thing that that connects to is housing and where people live. And this becomes important as people plan to age in in place. And it's not just whether or not, you know, they want to live in the house that they've got, but whether or not their house is suitable for longer term Mm -hmm. accommodation. I mean, if you're living in a townhouse, for example, with a bathroom on the first floor, and bedrooms, you know, on the first floor, that might you might find that difficult to to live in longer term. And so then, if you've got to move out of the area that you're in, how do you still remain connected to those people and sort of age in space? So there's that issue, mm. um, and then there's the other issues around cognition. So that is keeping yourself well mentally, um, being able to continue to learn to problem solve and integrate information from multiple sources. So keeping yourself cognitively well. Also emotions in terms of your own emotions and having insight to the emotions of other people um, and being pos- being able to remain positive and recognising maybe when you need help in terms of if you're struggling, then knowing that you can access that support network to um, continue. And then lastly, goals, motivational and being purposeful. So we do encourage people to keep planning, not just for retirement, but during retirement. Um, it, it's a good predictor of retirement adjustment. I was actually going to ask you about goals and I might ask you now and then we might ask you about uh, some projects that you are working on. Sure. Like as a financial advisor, we ask our clients, what are your goals? And, Mm -hmm. you know, under 40 years old, we've got the big rocks. I want to buy the house. I want to start a family. I want to do all these big things. Mm -hmm. Now, in my experience with people who are looking to retire – the goal might be, oh, we want to just travel yeah. once a year. We want to just buy the caravan, do the grey nomad thing, which is fine. But is that enough to keep motivated? Yeah, I think, look, I think this is a really good question. And I think that we do see a lot of people planning short term about almost the things that they've got on the back burner while they're still working. And well, the, that's the traditional quote-unquote bucket list almost. Yeah, it is. And, and are they the, goals? I mean, the three things are, you know, travelling around Australia, um, spending more time with the grandkids and doing renovations. I mean, those are the three big items. And then after that, a lot of people sort of do take stock and they go, well, where to now? Because I've had this sort of flurry of activity for the first couple of years and then they've got to take stock again. And this is one of the reasons why we're keen on having a look at when people leave work because in, you know, the surveys that we've seen, a lot of people will leave work and then get bored and have to, or thinking about getting back into work again. As a bit of an on-call career by default. And maybe though it's because they haven't got any of those goals going forward and they can't really think about what other goals there were. They're just going back to what they know. But that would in psychology, and I I don't want to step on your uh, psychology garden, Mm. but it's almost like for a lot of people, and I'm talking from experience as a human as well, like my work is almost the habit. Yeah. And I was just used to doing it. And I get really bored on weekends because I'm not working. Sure. Well, I guess it gives you structure, right? Yeah. But it also gives you a, 
you know, a tribe of people to connect with. Yeah. You know, whether or not you're a remote worker or you're working in an office, most people will have, you know, other employees that they're connecting with on a daily basis. So it gives you that support network and that st- structure. So they're, they're there is something to be gained from all of those things. I think the change in routine is one thing, but how people are going to spend their time is quite another. And, you know, it's difficult for sometimes people to think about. I had a conversation with someone last week and I said to them, and what, will you, what are you planning to do in retirement? And she said, go to the gym. And I said, and how many hours do you think you'll go to the gym? And she said, well, probably at least two hours a day. And, and I said, and what about other things? And she said, I haven't really thought beyond that. It's just I just want to spend more time at the gym. And so there's a lot of hours to fill in beyond those two hours at the gym. What do you do? But I'm like, as we progress this conversation, I'm thinking, you know, whether you are 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, 75, even that band there, mm. the age is irrelevant. All these concepts are the same, right? They are, and I reckon that retirement's got a bit of a bad rap, really. Well, we need to ditch the R word. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I think we can change the R word to a different R word, which is about um, refocus and repurpose and thinking about this as an opportunity to um, recreate, reinvent. I mean, there's lots of R words we could use that don't have necessarily the negative connotations that word retirement does. And look, you know, a lot of people retire and they go on – they go on to other careers. They, they they repurpose their time away from the very structured work environment they've been to go on to do other careers or other work. But just on that, and this is why it really isn't about what age you are, because I've been very vocal to the My Millennial Money audience, which primarily is millennials, right? People say, I'm going to do this when. Yes. Where I'm like, well, no, no, no. Mm. Can we re change our mindset, I'm going to move towards this now. Yes. Well, I mean, point in question about that is how people spend their retirement, the things that they want to do. So people will often say to us, I'm going to play golf. And the question is, well, why don't you play golf now? Because when we had a look at people who had these goals of pre-retirement, then they, and if they realise them in retirement, For every five people that say they're going to join the golf club, only one person actually shows up. So a lot of that idea is about people transitioning to these leisure activities. It doesn't translate. And I think it's because a lot happens when you retire and it takes a while for you to sort of figure out what to do next if you don't have a plan. But what would be more useful is if people started that journey before they left work, like they started going to the golf club, they met a few people from the golf club, you know, they they did a few more lessons or they just connected in some way. So that's not all happening at once. I I used to joke for many years, uh, my grandmother, she died when she was 92. And I joked for many years that she exercises more than me. Mm. She's got a better social life than I do. (laughs) It's just like, I mean, talk about goals, right? Yeah. But yeah. Nan didn't start doing that stuff when she was 80. Sure. That's she was right. living her lifestyle in her 55s, yes. her 60s, her 65. So the more I talk about, and this whole, like, this whole podcast came about as a spin off of the My Millennial Money to, you know, get the word out there for other people. All these concepts are the same. Mm. 
it's just the language, the age That's right. considerations are different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think also too, because we've seen people maybe in the um, millennial age group swapping out careers, that this in the future won't be such a big deal because it's just really a continuation of the career that they've already had and it just looks and feels different. I mean, I've always thought of career as a journey through life rather than, you know, with a stopping and an end date because in reality, we, you know, we, we still keep doing, we're still purposeful, we, we lead full lives. It's just, it looks and feels a bit different than when well, we're in the structure of a job. Yeah, and that's it. Like jobs start and stop, careers keep going. Yeah, exactly. I want to actually, I put in the uh, My Millennial Money Facebook group, I said, if you're in your 60s or if you're in earshot of someone in their 60s, please ask them, what are you most fearful about when it comes to retirement? Or what are you most looking forward to when it comes to retirement? And I said, any comments are welcome. Erin actually wrote this. My mum was really scared that she wouldn't be able to retire. She just didn't think about it. I mean, there's probably a whole 20-minute conversation yeah, there. Sure. She actually is in a good financial position with good options for a comfortable retirement, which I don't think she expected. Again, there's a lot that we can chew on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, we have everything set up and a few plans slash options depending on what lifestyle she wants. She actually is talking about it now. Knowledge is important, even if it's not where you want to be like just yet. So based on that comment, Mm. and maybe you can talk about what research that you're working on at the moment and what things that you're doing and what tools you've got for um, as part of your world. Yeah. So um, we are challenging people to think uh, more deeply about retirement and the timing for retirement. So we've taken this six buckets idea, which we've been working with for a number of years, and we've overlaid it with this idea of examining your career options. And what we most specifically want people to think about is their timing of retirement and the per- the reason that they want to retire. So we want people to start really reflecting on why they want to leave and whether or not there's some things that they could be doing right now before they leave that they could be tweaking that would maybe enable them to work longer, to enjoy their work more. Um, so, you know, for example, um, if it's to do with health and they're expecting that they're going to need to leave work earlier because of your health, is there something they could do about that now? Or if they know it's inevitable that they're going to have to leave, then how will they spend their time? So there's that issue. And then there's also the other issue around um, if they want to continue to work, maybe in a different sort of capacity, maybe part-time, is that a conversation they need to have with their employer or do they need to set up new networks or maybe do extra training to make that transition possible or easier for them? So we really want people to start thinking about what are the things that are going to get in the way of them choosing a date for retirement and then exercising it on their own time frame. It's that change before you have to, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And a more considered approach, we don't have a view about when's the best time to retire or how much money you need as much as has it been a very considered decision. Mm. And so I think with that case that we've, we've got in there that, uh, that, that Erin talks about is really about, you know, thinking about how you're going to spend your, t- your time in retirement. We do an exercise as part of this current study that we're in where we ask people to allocate time during a normal week to different activities 
to see how much time maybe they've got left over or maybe they've got you know, too many things on the go. Maybe they've got too many ideas. Um, so we want people to start thinking about, you know, how will they sp- spend their time across those sort of buckets of time, if you like. And that that's a, a just an exercise that people come back to in our conversations with them. So they basically do online careers advice um, training, and then we set them up with a careers advisor. And during those discussions, that exercise comes back over and over again where people say, when I did that exercise of allocating my time to the different buckets, you know, I realised I hadn't really thought beyond, you know, just going to the gym as an example. And that I think can be really telling for people to start thinking about what would a normal week in retirement look like? And, you know, I'll say the six buckets again, health, wealth, social, cognitive, emotional, motivational. Mm. The challenge is, could you look at doing some activities that tick a few of those boxes? Absolutely, right now. Yeah, yeah that's that's true. And starting to think about them in the future as well. You know, like the, the, the easiest one, social. You know, where's your tribe now? Um, who's your tribe of the future? And how do you make sure that you can keep connected with that group of people? And so a, a classic one is where people decide to move from the city to regional areas. And they have a look at what sort of house they can buy. What's the floor plan of the house? What does the house look like on the internet? But the thing that they really need to do is to have a look more broadly at who are the people that they're going to be able to connect with there. You know, if they like to play tennis, is there a tennis club? Or if they like to do bushwalking, is there, are there some really good walks that they can do in around that area? I mean, who are the people that they're going to be able to connect with as part of that? Yeah, because like if I like bushwalking, well, you've ticked the health thing because it's activity. Yeah, you've yep. ticked the social and maybe the emotional sides of the, the coin as well. Well, I mean, there is a good, there's lots of good uh, evidence to suggest a link between, you know, exercise and and um, and mood. So Healthy bodies, that healthy minds. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Something like that. I want to move. There's a, a, uh, a comment here from Louise. She asked a, a, a woman in her 60s. She was most fearful that her husband will die well before she does and she will then have an extended period of singleness as she ages. From a financial perspective, this includes having to pay someone to do all the handy mm. things that her partner used to be able to do. I mean, you yeah. can't get a more real fear than that. No, that's right. And interesting when I have conversations with people about downsizing, that that's one of the biggest concerns that they have. I mean, they are able to access government services to get some of those jobs done um, and some of those jobs they'll be able to get done for free and other jobs they'll need to pay for. But nevertheless, you know, house maintenance is one of those things that people might have been doing themselves um, that they still imagine that they can do. And, you know, I talk to doctors about people falling off ladders, for example, you know, and this is a common sort of, you know, problem falls or a p- common problem at older age. But what we also find and what I also hear are a lot of younger people saying, you know, dad used to clean the gutters and now he doesn't clean the gutters anymore, but he wants me to get up there and clean the gutters. But, you know, I'm in my 50s now. Um, or I'm in my 60s and I'm not real keen on being up a ladder and even less keen on being on the roof. But these are the things that still people think that, you know, they want to be able to do for themselves. But, you know, realistically, is it safe for them to continue to, to, to do those things? A question, and it may have come up in your research before. I mean, 
this whole Western culture of I've got my house here away from my family compared to some other cultures in the world that generations live together and support mm. each other. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating to look at the contrasting between the different societies with particularly this issue here, right? Yeah. Well, it is um, in terms of social support. But, you know, I think there's even variations around Australia if you have a look at that. Like I'm, I'm from Adelaide and the number of people that leave Adelaide as graduates to go into state so when, you know, I think Hugh McKay or Bernard Salt, one of the um, the uh, demographic, uh, you know, experts was mentioning that when you're in Adelaide and you ask about the family, you ask the question, where are the kids, not how are the kids, you yeah. know. So it, I think there's probably variations even mm. within Australia for different areas as to um, how what that looks and feels like. But I also think too that, you know, uh, people might have stronger social networks and social contacts than they do with their own families. Having a family doesn't necessarily guarantee social support. That's probably a really good statement, isn't it? <laughs> like, because there's no guarantees in life anyway. No. Uh, but just, yeah. I also see, though, Glenn, a lot of people who think they're going to retire and spend time with their grandkids, but they don't realise that the grandkids you know, after school have got heaps of activities on Mm. or they've got sports on the weekends. And so being realistic and having conversations with extended family about what the plans are is a really useful conversation to have. Yeah, and it's interesting even drawing on my own family, mum and dad, um, you know, this side of 70, you know, they live in New South Wales. My sister and her, I don't have children yet. My sister and the kids live on the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm they're looking at that transition now because they know once the kids hit the teens, they're, they're out of here. Like they're doing their own yeah, social that's, things. That's right. So they've got this window. We want to get up to the Gold Coast, mm-hmm. do, do the downsize Mark II because we've already moved. Yeah. And they know that they've got a window. But they can't just move there for the kids. But my mum's brother's up there. My si- So... That's yeah, right. it's it's an interesting. It's, it's complex. Thinking, isn't it? it is. It's thinking about you know the broader, just beyond you know because the the kids might not necessarily have a lot of spare time, not as much spare time as maybe grandparents hope, and also recognizing that as they grow older, that's going to change as well. the The whole dynamic will change. Let's have a chat about Trisha's comment, and we will do so right after this break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to retirerite.com.au, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted retirement advisors. Our trusted retirement advisors work with clients remotely all over Australia, so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's retirerite.com.au and click get help to arrange a complimentary discussion to see how they can help. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, we're back. Now, Trisha in the My Millennial Money Facebook group said, I would like to retire in three years when I'm 60, which is a, a goal that we see many times people over 50, 55 years old, that sure. around that 60 years old, and travel to England for a year. But I fear I still will be supporting my adult children who have come to rely on the bank of mum. So mm. <laughs> I jumped in and wrote, tell your kids to bugger off. Yeah. <laughs> um, buy my book. I'll send them my book. But there's probably a couple of things there. Like there's a real mm. fear. And we we don't know if there's her adult children have some needs or whatever. It, it sounds like they don't. But, yeah, what do we take of that one? I think um, I, I'd like, I mean, the question I'd have for Tricia is, um, so you're three years out from retirement. How did you decide on 60? What, what, why is 60 the magic number? Um, and then whether or not she wants to leave work permanently or she wants to continue part-time or casually, does she see work having any role for her in the future? Because I think that's a big determinant of what her time looks like and also whether or not she's going to be travelling to England like for a year, but what happens after that year? Mm. Um, So it's everything from thinking about that social network, uh, maybe re-evaluating her health, checking in on cognition, thinking about goals that she wants to set forward. And I think it's important for these conversations to take place across generations, you know, for people to be clear about what their plans are and what they might look like and maybe even forecasting ahead um, what the financials will look like as well. Uh, For every one of these sorts of cases, I see other cases of where people are planning to you know, for example, move up to the Gold Coast to be closer to family, but they haven't had the discussion with the family. Yeah. Right? And and I'm coming. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not and, asking, I'm telling. Yeah, and, <laughs> and in some cases, you know, um, stories about, for example, moving up to the Gold Coast to be closer to grandchildren and maybe a son who's just going through a difficult divorce, um, but the kids right now are 15 and 18. And then you know... That in three years' time, um, they're going to be 18 and 21. So maybe they won't need the same sort of support that they need now at 15 or 18. And someone's forgotten to tell the son about it. Someone's forgotten to have the conversation with the son about how do you feel about me moving in with you? So, you know, there's all these sorts of dynamics going on. And you'd think automatically that people would have these discussions with the family. But there's a a lot that's assumed and I think it's always a good idea to sit down and have the conversation about, you know, here's what I'm planning, here's what I'll be doing. Um, Maybe there's money available now but it won't be in the future. Here's, you know, where I'll be. Um, Here's where I'm going to be living so that the plans are, you know, communicated. Mm. Mm. A question here, and it, it probably it speaks to the non-financial part of retirement mm-hmm. and 
Kristen asked a colleague of hers. Yeah. And their biggest concern, and these, I, I've just got the view, like anytime I talk about money, like I'll champion any goal, whatever that is, because mm-hmm. it's not my goal, it's yours and let's encourage you. You know, not having air conditioning in the house yeah. and having a small dated kitchen, like that's a real thing for somebody. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about before about, you know, rentals versus um, having a home to live in. Being able to cover those expenses and being able to forecast for them, you know, is a concern for people. And if you have a look at even some of the um, issues that we hear, you know, often debated in the press and the media are around affordability and, you know, how do people afford to live, particularly on an age pension and what are the limitations of that. So, everyday expenses can become, you know, uh, a focus of people's attention. But equally, they may be holding people back from thinking about other things in retirement and that sort of anxiety around not being able to afford things like air conditioning can become sort of front of mind Mm. and stop people from maybe enjoying other aspects of of their life in retirement. So, you know, the the whole issue about affordability and everyday expenses can become a real focus for people. There was a common thread in the Facebook group around um, housing and you touched on it Mm. previously. Yeah. Have you done much work or just in your position at the university Mm. here about what society is doing to solve this problem? Look, I mean, I wish I could solve all the problems of society just from this university. Um, Oh, come on. What are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) But um, there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment around housing affordability in New South Wales and I'm the... uh, a member of the Ministerial Advisory Council on Ageing in New South Wales and conversations, you know, are taking place regularly about housing affordability and housing design as well, just in terms of, you know, buildings of the future being able to accommodate a diverse range of people, including those with mobility issues. So I think that's firmly on the agenda. Uh, My own research that I've done, my own small research project that I've done was about downsizing and asking people, um, you know, what caused them to downsize. Health was one of the key things. The other thing was maintenance of large gardens. So large yards are uh, were seen as problematic for people to try to maintain. So having a strategy for that. I've heard some great ideas from people though where they've, you know, grown out their backyards or they've built granny flats in the backyard, lots of different permutations of that. But that was one concern. Um, a lot of people regretted having to give up their garden completely though. So they'd gone from a house maybe on acreage and then they'd gone into a unit or an apartment without even a balcony. And for a lot of them, they they really missed having the garden. I remember this one comment that I had from um, someone in a survey who said that they missed their pot plants more than their grandchildren mm. um, because it was a focus for them and they really enjoyed, you know, got, they got a lot of joy out of seeing those, those plants develop and grow. So I think with the whole housing thing, it's a watch this space and we might dedicate another podcast episode uh, maybe around this mm-hmm. housing issue and I might get you to introduce me to somebody if it's not your wheelhouse or sure. or whatnot. Uh, so we will just say that we've noted that. But just on this downsizing thing, mm-hmm. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for the study that you did because yep. it's a fantastic read and I've got it printed out here. But I'm just going to read out some stats from the study. of respondents were largely responsible for the decision. So have that in the back of your mind. 
the average time to make the decision to move was 12 months and the average time between making the decision and the actual move was 10 months. So this isn't an overnight thing. No. For some people it is, unfortunately, yeah. with, the, with, Ill, with ill health, with especially health. with, you know, stairs or steep driveways. Yeah. Or, but if yeah. we are talking to somebody in their 50s or mm. early 60s now mm-hmm. who are still quite mobile and quite yeah. healthy and I think it was actually... Bernard Salt, who you referenced before, the demographer, he basically said in this day and age, you know, 65 is no longer old. It's not the retirement age. We're now into the lifestyle years. Yeah. Because we're getting older. We're living longer. Absolutely. So 81.3% of people had no regrets about downsizing. Mm. About 55 said others were involved. And these are the, this is the, the real kicker here. There was less regret in line with expectations when decided to move themselves. Yes. And then this is the other kicker that you talked about, the pot plans. The move was worse than expected when there was a high correlation of items that were left behind. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's right. I mean, I think that that's one of the key things is, you know, when people are moving, thinking about what it is that they can realistically fit into a new space if they're downsizing. I mean, downsizing is exactly that. You know, it's getting rid of stuff so that you don't have as many things. Um, So pick one plant and one chair that you like. (laughs) Well, not quite like that. And so there again, you're making it sound horrible, but it actually can be really positive if people have thought about it and they make the decision for themselves. You know, they have some input to the decision that's made. I think that's a really important thing because otherwise people feel like they've been fitted out with a space they don't really want. And just on that, your research actually says, like, we hear downsizing and everyone thinks nice brick veneer home with a yard to apartment or granny flat. The data says there's still a large chunk of people that are downsizing from a whopping big house and a whopping big yard to still a house. Yes, yes, that's right. a little bit smaller and easier to manage. Or, yeah. So it's, it's not all or nothing. No, it's not. And um, that's a good insight. So a lot of people were, you know, well, they've gone away from the idea of downsizing. It's gone a bit out of fashion now and they like to refer to it as right-sizing. That's a politically correct term, right-sizing. And so sometimes that does mean that what they're doing is they're swapping out the yard, which is getting untenable, and maybe they've got a smaller courtyard, but the house itself is the same because they are leaving space for visitors or borders or they're using that space in a different way. So um, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, moving into a unit or a flat. And I I think, you know, the top three reasons that your study suggested was the physical health and age at 21%, financial reasons, 20.7%, and then the social reasons. So for everyone thinking downsizing, it can be financial downsizing. And my own parents, they moved north Mm -hmm. up to east, uh, west Newcastle from the Central Coast, scooped a couple hundred thousand dollars in the transition. Yes. Now, look, that's a good point though, Glenn. I mean, this is going back to what I've been saying about thinking about the broader psychological consequences of that, that it's good to maybe, I don't know, their circumstances, but to have the extra money. But it goes back to thinking again about if the house that they're moving to is right for them and what activities or what connections they can make within that community because no good living in a house you know, that's 
fit, fits all your needs. And you've got the cash in the bank. <laughs> and also transport's the other issue. Mm. You know, how do you get in and out of that house if you can't drive? So that's the other consideration is um, how what's the infrastructure like in the place that you're moving to and how will you be able to use that infrastructure longer term and will it suit? So it's about matching with activities, it's about matching with social networks, um, interests that you've got, uh, infrastructure, hospitals, train lines, buses, etc. All of those things matter. There are so many moving parts to this retirement or transition to renewal or whatever R word you want to use. Mm. The one thing I've really been encouraged with this conversation is the whole, it's not all or nothing, change before you have to. And for example, Trisha, like moving to England, why not see if you, like, if you're a manual worker, sure, it might not be possible. If you are in a role that you can work remotely, can you still, can you move to England tomorrow yeah. for a year? And, yeah. but, and that was, you know, the silver lining of COVID. Mm. We all know how to use QR codes now. Yep. We all know how to use Zoom now. And we all know that, oh, things can be a little bit more flexible. That's right. You can move to the country even. I mean, you don't even need to go to England. You can just yeah. move, you know, live remotely. My brother lives in Kapunda in South Australia and he works remotely from home and, you know, it's a big advantage for him to be able to do that, to do the job he was doing in the city and it's continued. So that's, uh, for him, has, has worked out perfectly. We've got four minutes. Mm. Can I ask you mm-hmm. a, maybe a tough question. You touched on it before. Someone listening to this may have ageing parents. Yeah. In their 80s or 90s or, or wherever. How can we best help our ageing parents Mm -hmm. come to terms with the need to perhaps move into a care facility or because this is not the money discussion. This is I've lived here for 60 years. I can still do this when reality is you can't. Right. So how do we help start that conversation? Now, look, there are people who would work in the advice space, people like Louise Biddy, for example. I'm going to try and get her on the podcast. Who who specialise in this area and, you know, She'll train financial advisors who will help people make that transition and uh, and ensure they've got enough money to cover that uh, that cost. But from my perspective, I think it is look, it's a difficult conversation, but I think we've got to stop feeling so paternalistic about older people. And there's sort of two schools of thought when it comes to dealing with ageing. One is that older people are frailed and old and need to be taken care of. And the other one is that they're fully functioning adults who can make their own decisions. My neighbour is in her early 80s and she lives in a two-storey townhouse and she's got a better exercise sure. routine. She's more active than I. She'll outlive me, I Absolutely. can guarantee Absolutely, yeah. So and, and why shouldn't she stay in her own home if that's her choice? Absolutely. But w- I think respecting people's decisions Mm. is important to begin with. But I also think that if it means that living in that space requires extra support, then helping them work through, you know, things like the aged uh, services to make sure that they can access the services that they need or finding providers for them so that they can continue to live in that house. And if they want to move out, then maybe helping them to brainstorm some 
issues or areas where they might want to move to. So it's the sort of stuff I just described about infrastructure. You know, is that going to be is that going to meet all their needs? So helping and supporting them to and and not necessarily advocating for them, but working alongside them to help them to make uh, the good the, the best decisions they can for themselves. And do you think just as we finish, if because I've heard all these stories with um, friends of family and all that where somebody is mentally totally fine, no dementia, yep. but the physical side of it, they just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Is there a discussion that we need to have with our grandparents or your parents if they're aging that, hey, at some stage, it's not tomorrow, it's not next year, but we always need to have this active conversation about how we're going to make sure you're looked after and it might not look the way it is now. Like, Yeah, I think that's a conversation that they probably need to to drive. But if they're not able to and you're concerned about their welfare, then helping them to understand that you're concerned about their welfare and what they might what changes that you might be able to help them to facilitate to be able to continue to live, mm. you know, where they do. But we've got to move away from this idea of, you know, making decisions on behalf of older people because, you know, it, it's not like they return to childhood. Um, it's that they have diverse range of um, needs and interests and uh, opinions about where and how they live and that's okay. Joanne, before we wrap this up, Is there anything you would like to add that maybe I haven't asked you? No, except I hope that everybody engages in retirement planning. I hope that people take an active interest in things like um, superannuation and – but but, but equally, you know, so – I do encourage people to take an active interest and to get educated about their options and, you know, make a very considered decision. But thinking alongside that with career – and when they plan to exit and health, they're the, they're the three most important things, really, all of those things in combination. Just get it more engaged, get more educated and try to learn as much as you can um, so that you're taking into consideration a whole range of different factors before you decide to uh, exit the workplace and then can go forward with a bit of a plan of action that you can continue to refine. Awesome. Mm. Thank you so much. That was the timer. We've got to get you yes, into another meeting, but right. uh, really appreciate you talking on Retire Right today. Thanks, My Joanne. pleasure, Glenn. Thank you. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.